shines like the morning before I when we all see Jesus when we all see Jesus no more sickness no
and I were sitting. I wasn't, I didn't come to know Jesus till I was 17 years old. And you guys sitting there singing tonight, <laughs> wow, to have known Jesus at your age. What a crowd. <laughs> I told Brother Josh, man, it's raining, it's cold. I ain't going to anybody here. <laughs> I think we got more here than we had Sunday morning, which never happens in revival. Uh, wow. I have continued to be blessed by our time together. Uh, I do want to stop for just a second and thank you as a church for allowing me to come and to be with you these last few days. I want to thank your pastor for offering the invitation to come. And I didn't know Brother Josh all that well, but this week I've, I've come to love him and to love the work that he's doing and I want to thank you, brother, for just loving on me this week. It's been great. And I have not been homeless. Uh, Jimmy and Pam have opened up uh, the, the house behind theirs, and I appreciate you guys giving me such a comfortable place to rest while I've been in town. Uh, there's much for us to do tonight, but your preacher has put me on a time restraint. Apparently, we've got to get these kids out of here at a certain time. So I'm going to make a deal with you. I'll preach in a hurry if you'll listen in a hurry. Can you guys do that? All you little guys, can y'all do that? Because I'm going to preach in a hurry if you guys do what? Listen in a hurry. All right, so here we go. Uh, tonight is a little different in that I have an object lesson. Do you guys, uh, we're going to get to that. But if you have your Bibles, open, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. There's lots of passages in Scripture that I would call my favorite. But I tell you, when I need a pick-me-up, when I've had a long day at school because I teach, when I've had a long day just living life and I need to be encouraged, I like to read Romans chapter 8 because Romans chapter 8 wants us to understand we have reasons to rejoice. And we know that because it begins in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the, spirit, after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we like to quote that verse a lot of times, and we say, oh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but we don't like to finish the verse. But since we've been in revival and we've talked about what it is to be in our flesh, and it doesn't matter how old you get or how young you are, we still do bad stuff. Do any of you guys do bad stuff? <laughs> I like them three little boys right there. They're like grinning. You bet we do. <laughs> I love the honesty. And we all do bad stuff. And when you're my age, which according to your preacher is really old, you're still going to want to do bad stuff. 
And so we have a choice to make, and we dealt with that already in revival, and it's God's desire that we choose him, that we, we, we choose Jesus when we have that choice, and that choice is often our Savior or sin, our Savior or self. And just because you guys feel like doing it doesn't mean you should do it. We need to look at things in line with the Word of God. And if we are looking at things in line of the Word of God and we're doing what Jesus wants us to do, then the Bible says we are walking in the Spirit. And uh, there's just all kinds of stuff I want to do tonight, but I need a big old boy. Where's Sean? Oh, never mind. He's way up there. I need a big old boy like Sean. Do we have a big old boy like Sean? Somebody my size, a man size boy, not your preacher. He's a little guy. Well, come on. You'll do. Come on up here. I need one more little pipsqueak. You'll do. Come on. Would you get between us? If you read Romans chapter 7, we're going to make him Paul. And we have, according to the Bible, three parts to us. We're going to make him, you can look out there, you don't need to look at me. He's going to be Paul, which is Paul's conscience, Paul's mind. We're going to make this guy, because he looks bigger than I am, yeah. We're going to make him the Holy Spirit that's in Paul. He's going to be the new man, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in Paul when Paul met Jesus on the road to, to Damascus. I'm going to be that part of Paul that ain't redeemed yet. I'm going to be that part of Paul that you might call Saul. Because there's a part of us, even if we have been saved forever, that still doesn't, isn't redeemed yet. We like to sin. We want to sin. And what happens, we're going to need your arms. Would you grab his arm and step that way? What happens is we get in a tug-of-war match, and you got the Holy Spirit. What's your name? Chris. Chris? Oh, that's short for Christ. So we've got, we got the Holy Spirit down that side. We're going to call Chris Christ. We've got Christ down there that's trying to pull little Paul to follow him. But I've been eating well this week. I've been feeding by flesh. This flesh has grown so much a microphone won't fit on my head no more. And our flesh is powerful. And let me tell you who wins. He decides. He decides. And that's that choice we make every single day. And the flesh wants to remind him of the partnership we used to have before Jesus. And that's why the Bible says we have to renew our mind because once this mind changes and becomes the mind of Christ, now it's two against one. And as I tried to pull, now little Paul is pulling with Jesus and they move me. But if little Paul is acting like little Saul and he forgets to renew his mind, then he and I... Come on, Christ. <laughs> we wind up, we, me, me and little Paul, little Saul, we wind up doing stuff that Christ doesn't like. Y'all can sit down. Thank you. And that's what Romans chapter 7 is all about. 
is that struggle that we have in our flesh after we know Jesus because we have a choice to make every single day. Are we going to follow Christ and do what Christ wants us to do, or are we going to follow self? And I love Romans chapter 8 because Paul says in verse chapter 7, even when he does wrong, Jesus can make that right. And that's why he says in verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to me because not only am I in Jesus, I am walking after the Spirit. I am choosing Jesus even when it's hard. And if that happens, then we have all these promises in Romans chapter 8. But we can't look at them because i got to get going. It's already late. And we get into verse 31. And Paul asked the question, if God be for us, is God for us? Okay, let me ask that again. Y'all have gone to sleep on me. I might have to get big Christ back up here. If, is God for us? So if God be for us is really not a question about whether or not God is for us. The question is for us. Do we believe God is for us? Because God is and always has been for us. So the question tonight, is God for us? We know he is. The question is, will we follow what Jesus wants in our life and receive him and receive all that he has? There's a, y'all watch the VeggieTales? Is that still a thing? I realize these in the front are drawing a complete bank, but those in the back are like, y'all know VeggieTales? Do y'all know that little song, My God's Bigger Than a Boogeyman? Okay, they don't. Do any of you guys know the VeggieTales and that our God's bigger than a boogeyman? Yeah, that's true, he is. And so we know that our God is bigger than a boogeyman. There's a whole African story I want to tell you about that, but we out of time. But I'm here to tell you that our God is bigger than a boogeyman. And if our God is bigger than a boogeyman, then no matter what comes to me, if God be for us, and he is, Paul asked the question, then who can be against us? Who can stand and defeat if Jesus, if big Christ, is fighting for me? I don't have to be afraid. And then we go on as we continue in Romans chapter 8, and they begins to ask some more questions, and he asks, Who's condemneth? If we know that God is for us, then who is it that can bring an accusation against us? Who can bring a charge against God elect? It's God that justifieth, and who is it that condemneth? The Bible says it's Christ that died, and Paul pauses here and said, No, it's not just the death of Christ, because if Jesus died and we could go and visit the grave where he is buried today, then his death was for nothing. But Paul said it is Christ that died, yea, rather, is risen again and is on the right hand of God. Who maketh intercession? Who maketh a, a go-between, a bridge, a, an advocate, a lawyer that bridges that gap between me and God? It's Jesus. That's the reason Jesus died. Jesus died to bridge the gap between me, unholy Eddie, and God, who is holy and righteous. I can't do it. And so the question is, who can condemn me if Jesus is standing in the gap? Why did Jesus die? Hello? Say it again. 
He died to forgive us of our sins. So then the next question Paul asks is, if Jesus is the one that forgives us of our sins, and he is, the book of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. So Jesus died so that his blood could be applied to our lives so that we could be saved. And if that is true, and it is, then Paul asks the question, if we are justified because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And the question is nothing, the answer is nothing. <laughs> There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Jesus loves you. And because he loves us and nothing can separate us, we can't be defeated. Paul goes on to say, I am persuaded, which means I know, I am convinced, there's no doubt in my mind that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to take, woo, <laughs> preacher, I need time. I'm going to take just a, just a couple of minutes and tell you this little story because it's important. I live in Africa. Preacher hadn't introduced me tonight, but that's okay. I live in Africa, and I've lived in Africa for a very long time. And there we have some people that believe stuff that's a little different than we believe here. And so we were out teaching, and a 17-year-old boy come to where we were teaching under the trees in the dry riverbed. His name's Josephat. And I had the chance to tell Josephat about Jesus, and he did the right decision, and he wanted to be saved. So Josephat prayed, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. But then Josephat went home, and he told his mom and daddy about him being saved. And his daddy beat him. And I got a phone call that told me that Philip, which is Josephat's daddy beat him because he got saved. So the next day I go back to uh, K. Wall, the village where they live, and I go and I find Philip and I ask him, why did you beat your boy? And my African name isn't Eddie. That's my American name. My African name is Ekiru. And he said, Ekiru, let me tell you, we have a problem here in our village we have a problem with something called Opepo Mbaya, which literally translated means bad winds. And when Josephat came back from having met you, he began to tell me and his mama Anna about you and about your Jesus, and these bad winds began to blow, and they told me to beat my boys, so I did. I'm like, okay. I don't know everything there is to know about these bad winds, but I do know this. My God's bigger than a boogeyman. He's surely bigger than a bad wind. And there's nothing that blows in the desert of Turkana that is more powerful than my Jesus. And I had the privilege as both Anna and Philip made a profession of faith. They bowed to be saved that day. Well, 10 days later, Philip and Anna were, I get a phone call that Philip and Anna had been beaten badly. They thought his leg was broken. Her arm was broke because they were beaten so badly. So I go back to K-Wall, and I got my doctor friend with me, and after they were examined, I was told that there was nothing broken. So I asked them, what happened? And they're like, Ikiru, Selena's our daughter, but she's married and she lives in another village. And when she came to visit, we were telling her about you. We were telling her about your Jesus, and she beat us. I'm like, well, can you go get Selena because I'd like to talk to her. 
Like, well, she lives in another village. It's going to be a while. I got all day. But, you know, I don't want to have to come back. So can we just get everybody together and let's just talk to everybody all at one time? So they sent out word that the missionary wanted to have a little meeting. And just about the time Selena got there, the sun was going down. It was getting dark. And there's 25, 24, and Selena made 25 people that were gathered in the Boma. And your preacher can tell you what a Boma is. And so I asked Selena, girl, tell me why you beat your mom and daddy. She said, Ekiru, when they began to talk about your Jesus, the bad winds began to blow. And they told me to kill my mom and daddy. And I believe I would have if somebody had not stopped me. So, well, Selena, I'm going to tell you just like I told your parents. There's nothing that blows in this desert is more powerful than my Jesus. If you want to be saved, if you want to be delivered from these bad winds that are causing all these problems, the only thing I can tell you to do is you have to believe in my Jesus in the same way that I do. And all 25 of those adults stood to receive Christ as their Savior. January three years ago, well, it's four now, we had a baptismal service. And we baptized 76 that day because we were starting our church. And the very first one was Philip. And Philip's just as bow-legged as he could be. If he's as tall as little Bobby, but if his legs were straight, he'd be tall like Paul. And he's just a tall, just a bow-legged man. And he's standing there, and he's I got this walking stick, and it's my job to call the names. And Philip is the very first one. And I said, Philip, I got two questions for you, buddy. He's like, what's that? I said, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? And he began to grin ear to ear, and he said, Ekiru, you know that I do. I said, yes, sir, we're going to baptize you. Second question is just curiosity. Have y'all had any more trouble with those bad winds? Oh, Philip threw that walking stick down, and he began to dance like only an old bow-legged Turkana Baptist could do. And he said, Ekiru, let me tell you, from that day until now, we have not had any more trouble with those bad winds. If God be for us, there is nothing that can stand against us. I do not know what you face in your life. I do not know the home in which you come from. I do not know the obstacles that you had to overcome just to get here tonight. But I do know this, whether you're a kid or an old kid, there's nothing that we face in our lives that are more powerful than my Jesus. There's no one that loves you more. And I know there are folks in your life that love you, but they do not love you as much as my Jesus. And we have reasons to rejoice. We have reasons to shout tonight because we are saved. We know Jesus as our personal Savior. And I was 17 years old when I met Jesus. Well, Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not from Arkansas and I'm not from Louisiana, I'm just an old cracker from Florida. So let me give you the King Eddie version of that verse. 
Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience, also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. Paul says, boys, I'm about to tell you something. As God is my witness, it's true. I want more. <laughs> I mean, he leaves me shouting like a Pentecostal when we leave chapter 8. Paul, give me more. <laughs> and then Paul shocks me when he says in verse 2, that as God is my witness, what I'm about to tell you, boys, is true. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I don't understand that. I mean, Paul has given us all these reasons to rejoice. Paul has given us all of these reasons to remind us that Jesus loves us and he dies for us and there's nothing that can defeat us and there's nothing that can defeat him. Then why does he have a heavy heart? He tells us that. He says in verse 3, for I could. Now he knows he can't. He knows that once you've been saved, you can never be unsaved. <laughs> once you've been saved, you can never lose that salvation because we didn't give it. We can't take it back. <laughs> Jesus gave it. But Paul says, if I could give back my salvation, for I could account myself accursed for Christ. If I could give back my salvation, I would be willing to do it and die and go to hell. Who in the world would do that? For I could count myself a curse for Christ. Why? What does Paul know? What does he love that he's willing to give up, if he could give up his eternity with Jesus and die and spend an eternity in a lake of fire burning, separated from God? He said he would do it. Why would he do such a thing? Paul says, I have great heaviness and continuing sorrow for, in my heart for my brethren, for my family, for my kinfolk, according to the flesh. Hmm. 85 years ago, Paul, I may have, you, may have to have you come up and help me. 85 years ago, the laws and the countries of Europe began to change. And when these laws began to change, if you were a Jew, if you were a person that would be of Jewish descent, they required that you begin to wear a mark. And this was worn on the outside of your clothes so that people could easily identify you. And it was the Star of David and it was yellow, and it had a big J on it to let everyone know when they saw them that they were a Jew. Well, as this law began to come into effect, and they began to make people wear this for identification purposes, these bad people that came into power, they were Nazis, they began to build these big death camps. And they began to take all of these people that were marked in this way and bring them to these death camps where they were killed and their bodies were burned. And what's shocking to me was I had the privilege to go to Poland and to walk in one of these death camps. And what's shocking to me is that the village is just outside the gates. And so as all of these people have this identification <laughs> The people in the village, they could see them. They knew who they were. They knew that this was a mark of death. 
And they could see every morning when they got up as these bodies were being burned in the gas chambers and ashes were going into the heavens because of the heat. As they cooled, these ashes were all over the ground, all over the paths that they walked to go to school and go to work and all over everything. And yet somehow through all of that, they ignored it. <laughs> they didn't offer any kind of help, any kind of hope. And they could see these people marching. They could see these people, and they were identified. This was a mark of death. Well, once the Nazis were finally defeated, and the Russians, the Russians came in there, and they opened up the gates, they were horrified at the amount of Jews that were dead, the amount of Jews that were dying. They were horrified at just the sheer amount of death. And so they went into the village, they're in Poland, and they had the Poles to come to the camp to offer assistance. And there's video of the Russians videoing them as they're making their way down the path going into these concentration camps. And they too have been delivered from Nazi Germany, and they're in their Sunday best, and their hats are on the head. There's a spring in their step. They are happy. But then the next video you see is them leaving the camp. And their hats are off their head and they're, they're held against their chest and they're crying. And the joy that they had going has now been replaced with sorrow. And the reason that their hearts are so broken is because they came face to face with the reality because they did nothing to help those that were under the curse of death. Millions upon millions upon millions died under their watch. Man, I wish I could tell you that we are marked that way, but we're not. We have a different mark. And this is not a mark that we can see, but it's a mark that God can see. And the mark that God sees isn't a mark of death. <laughs> it's a mark of life. And the Bible tells us, and we sang songs tonight, how Jesus is the Lamb of God. And Jesus died to take away the sin of the world. And you can escape the death that we have because we do bad stuff. If we simply come to a place in our life where we apply the blood of Jesus to our hearts. And when God looks at us, all he wants to know is, do you have the blood? That's all he wants to know. Is there a day in your life where you can remember coming to God in prayer and saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I am under the curse of death, but I don't want to die. I don't want to be separated, and I need Jesus to forgive me of our sins. If I had the ability, which I do not, but if I had the ability, I wish I could see your hearts and see, is there blood? Because without the shedding of of blood. There is no forgiveness of sin. I don't care if you've been baptized. I don't care who your mom and daddy is. I don't care how you got here tonight. If you do not have the blood, you are still under the curse of death. If you do have the blood, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and we are under no condemnation. The question I have tonight is, do you have the blood? We are all under a curse of death. But Jesus gave us a way out. And we simply have to come to a point in our life 
where we say, I need the blood of Jesus. So my question is this. As Paul makes his way to the stage, 